0: scripture today from Romans chapter 7 verse 7 through 25. Well then, am I suggesting the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet, but sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It it used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death, so we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good, good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for the spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is in sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered. This principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. This is the word of God to you today. You can be seated. Thanks, Zach.
1: Well, good morning, New City. Great to be with you on this rainy Sunday morning. Thanks for coming out in the the wet, and the little bit of cold. Um, Hey, we talked about last week that the Christian life is maybe best understood as a journey. And I've always loved to think about life lived on the road as kind of a metaphor for spiritual life. I don't know what your metaphor, how you think about living spiritually, um, what that looks like for you. But for me, it's always been this idea of being on a journey. And so one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the account of uh, a time when Jesus is on a road and he's on the way to Jerusalem and he's he's on the way to the triumphal entry where he'll be crucified and and where he'll die and then where he'll be resurrected but before all that happens he's on the way and he's gathering a crowd because the crowd is waiting for the king and so they they see Jesus as as the king who's going to triumphantly enter into Jerusalem the holy city and enter into that as king and make everything new and so uh, in Mark chapter 10, there's this really cool story of Jesus as they're leaving the ancient city of Jericho. And as they leave the town, it says that, you know, there's a whole bunch of followers, probably thousands of followers on this road with him. And there's people lining the roads just to get a glimpse of him along the way. And they come to this moment. And in the, in the story, it says there's a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. And, and if you can imagine this scene for a minute, a dusty road, a hot day, Uh, A lot of people, a lot of noise and chaos. And a blind man who would have been poor, uh, who would have been sitting on the side of the road, would have gone unnoticed. But the scriptures tell us that uh, the blind man calls out the name of Jesus as he passes by. And, And in that moment, the people around him tell him, be quiet, be quiet, he doesn't want to talk to you. And they try to silence his voice but Jesus, being Jesus, hears the man and he turns around. And he stops and he says, Come to me. And in this moment, this blind man, and I love this part of the story, he throws off his cloak, which would have been his most valuable possession. And in that moment, what you see is somebody who realizes, I have nothing to lose and everything to gain, and I I just need to get in the presence of Jesus. And so he meets Jesus, I imagine, stumbling, maybe a few people helping him, his hands extended. He comes face to face with Jesus on this ancient dusty road. And then in this moment when Jesus is face to face with the man whose name we know is Bartimaeus, Jesus asks maybe one of the most important questions that a human being can be asked by God. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And of course, Barnabas, realizing that he's blind, immediately replies, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. And so Jesus heals him, and there's more to that story, but as we begin looking at our scriptures this morning, I want our attention to be drawn to this concept of wanting, of desire. That's the question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. What is it that you want me to do for you? Do you know what you want from me? And so at the heart of that question is a question about desire and, and, and in that context, he's asking it of a blind man, and here's the reality, is that he's asking a blind man about desire, and we ought, ought to be able to relate to that, because the reality is, is that we all understand desire, and as we move through the message today, I want you to ask the question, what is it that you want if I said to you, and you could be completely honest with me, and I said, not, not what do you want God to do for you, but just what do, is it that you want in life, how would you answer that question? I want you, whatever that answer is, um, to be at the forefront of your thoughts today, because we're people of desire like Bartimaeus, but also like Bartimaeus, we're people living in darkness, And maybe you don't realize that, that that you're blind, that you don't see God for who he is, you don't see yourself for who you are, you don't see the people around you for who they are either. You see, we're all living in darkness, and some of that's a consequence of the world around us, and some of it's a result of our own choices and the real, very real condition of our hearts. So here's two realities that we're confronted with right away, is that we're blind and that we desire things, but lastly, we're made for daylight, and we all know that. We're, we're made for daylight. We're not made for darkness. We're made to see and to be seen, to take in and to create beauty and to be filled with goodness and delight. And so it's with this context that we're blind, desiring, yearning people that we head into our text this morning. And so the question is, um, first of all, how do we know that we're blind and living in darkness? How do we know We're blind and living in darkness, and maybe some of you might be saying to yourself, that's not me. I'm not blind. I know what I want. I know what I long for. But here's the truth is that in verses 7 through 13, I'm summarizing. Here's what Paul says first to us as we head into this conversation about desire. He says, essentially, my darkness is not God's light. My darkness is not God's light. In other words, the law, which is God's truth, he says, exposes me. And, and so in the, it, it's, it shows me that in the deep inner recesses of my soul, I'm profoundly not good, that I'm self-centered, that I'm a rebel who murders people with my words, who commits adultery in my heart, who values things in the material world more than God himself, and that we all lie, cheat, and steal our way through relationships in life itself. And when we look at the perfect truth of God which we've done several times throughout the last few weeks, what that reveals is that my life has deviated from the path or the journey of life. And it also shows us the anatomy of our own hearts. And so we're confronted when we see God's truth, when we're confronted, and think about that moment on the road, Bartimaeus was confronted with the physical person of Jesus, And we, every time we open the scriptures, are confronted with the truth of God. But God, the scriptures say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're confronted with Jesus every time we're exposed to his truth. And when we're exposed to his truth, he reveals the ways our life has deviated. And there's this massive disconnect between God's truth and goodness and what I find myself wanting And so when you're confronted with God's truth, Paul says, you have a choice to make. You can go one of two directions. First of all, the first choice is that you can return to the very first lie that we see in Genesis 3 that we keep talking about, where Satan says, did God really say that? Can he really be trusted And so what happens is we encounter difficult places in our life, and as longing creatures, we long for happiness, we long for settled relationships, we long for comfort, we long for success, and that when we don't get those things, and then we look at God's law, and we don't like what it says, because we realize it's exposing who we are, that we really are living in darkness... We're tempted to return to that, that God isn't really good and can't be trusted, and so I'm not going to pay attention to his way of life. That's option number one. Option number two is that we can have the courage and the fortitude to look inward and look at our heart, and remember what we said about the heart and the Hebrew understanding. The heart is the air traffic control center of what it means to be a human. It's that place that's the intersection of your feelings and your thoughts and your desire. What is it that you want? And so when we look at God's perfect law and we see a disconnect, we can have this courage to look inward and say, you know what, maybe I am truly blind and living in darkness. So Paul summarizes this in verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, with the truth, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave of sin. And just think about that for a moment, that the Apostle Paul, writing a founding document of our Christian faith, says of himself, I am all too human. And when we're reading the rest of this scripture this morning, as we're going through this teaching, here's a very important piece of context for us all, is this is not written to people who don't believe in Jesus. This is written... Paul writing about himself and written to the church, written to us as Jesus followers, and we're saying, man, I'm all too human, a slave to sin, that we're fallen and sinful and broken people living in the darkness of our own hearts so much of the time. I don't know if that resonates with you. That deeply resonated with me. I'm all too human. I realize it all the time. So Paul then begins to unpack what does this darkness look like? He says, what's the problem with me? Verse 15, he says, the problem of living in darkness and being a desiring, yearning, longing creature is that I don't really understand myself. Verse 15, I don't really understand myself. As I was sitting with that statement this week, it just kept washing over me how much that's true of me. I don't really understand myself. In other words, when I get into conflict in relationships, when things happen in the world around me, and I look at the way I often respond out of my brokenness, I don't understand myself. You see, we are complex individual people. And I think in the church, that's something really important to name because there's this tendency in the church to think, you know, this is the place where you show up and basically you're supposed to have your life together. And deep down inside, you know that's not true of you, but we're desperately afraid that we're going to be found out that if other people really knew the complexity of what's going on in my heart, that I wouldn't be accepted here. But that's a lie from the pit of hell, and we're gonna expose it today. We are complete complex people, we are people of desire, we want things, we long for things. It's primal to our nature to yearn. And Saint Augustine put it this way: the whole of life, the whole life of the good Christian is a holy longing. That is our life to be trained by longing. We long for all kinds of things. So it's not desire itself that's wrong. It's the object of the desire that is wrong, and we're going to look at that. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, the darkness confuses and shackles me, so I lack fundamental integrity at the core of my being. And each of us lack fundamental integrity at the core of our being. What do I mean? Verse 15, he explains it. He says, and I want you to pay attention to the number of times that he uses the word want for I want to do what is right. Identify with that. I think most of us want to do what is right. We follow Jesus, we've seen truth, and we know life, and we want it. But he says, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. And he summarizes it beautifully. In verse 21, he says, I have discovered this principle of life. And if the Apostle Paul has discovered a principle for life, you should write it down. It's an important thing. He says that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. You see, there's this disconnection at a core level, a lack of integrity in us between our desire and our behavior. Does that resonate with you? You know, this story of disconnection, it's it's in all of our stories, it's in all of our lives. If we had moments of Honesty with each other, we could we could all share our story of the way that we're disconnected in this way. And and I don't know what that looks like in your life, but for me it takes on all kinds of shapes and sizes. And you know, Paul brings up in this passage, he brings up the particular sin, the rebellion of envy, of of wanting something other people have. And and if you think about the sin of envy, it's a sin of desire at its core. It's that I find myself desiring and yearning for something someone else desires. So I see something my neighbor has desired and gotten, and then I want to desire it too. And it's this spiraling circle of darkness of wanting things for the wrong reasons. And if I'm honest with you, um, I've struggled profoundly through the years. This wanting something that someone else has and, and believing the lies and the stories that are associated with that, I probably a thousand stories I could share of that. I was thinking of one this morning that uh, when Madeline was a baby and it was our first year in ministry, I was in professional ministry for the first time, and we had this beautiful yellow house in Indian Land, and, and I remember when we were bought it that we had no money, and it, it felt like a miracle that like we had this little house, and it was a beautiful little yellow house with trees in the yard and. It was ours, a place to raise our little family. And I was ecstatic about it, and I was excited about it, and I was content in it. But it was one of those neighborhoods that had multiple sections, you know, and in our section, the houses were like our house, but in other sections, the houses were bigger and nicer. And I remember regularly going on walks through the neighborhood, and it took me about four weeks before my contentment turned to envy. And I remember walking past the bigger houses, and, and, and looking at the nicer cars in the driveway, and imagining what the people's lives were like who lived in those spaces, and I found myself believing this lie, believing this story, that if I could get a house like that, if, if, if somehow I could maneuver things in my life and get to that point in life, that then I would be more significant, that then I'd be happier, that then I'd have different connections and different friends and maybe a different life altogether. And it sounds crazy saying that to you right now, but it it was true. And then what it created was discontent of not being happy with the gift that I had and and creating all kinds of strain in my life and in my marriage, all because in my heart, you see, I knew I was a Christian, I was a pastor. I knew that envy was evil and bad and would destroy me. I knew that, just like Paul said, I, I wanted to do what is right and I didn't want to be discontent, and yet there I was, just like he says, but inevitably doing what is wrong. I don't know what ways you are disconnected in your story in that way that I know that you You look at God's truth, and you want to do it, and you want to live it, but then in the small spaces of your life, and maybe the bigger spaces of your life, you find yourself doing the very thing that you don't want to do, even though you know it's killing you, you know it's hurting your relationships, and you can't stop doing it, and it just feels like this spiraling, dark death that's happening. And maybe for some of you this morning, you're feeling that acutely, and you don't know the way out. The first thing I want to say to you is you are not alone. You're not weird. If you are struggling in this way, if you're finding yourself lacking integrity in your life, you're not by yourself, guess what? Unfortunately, you're normal. And and, in the church, we have to talk about these things. This isn't a place for perfect people who've got their lives figured out. This is a place for struggling people who are looking at the face of Jesus and saying, I want to move towards him. I want to walk down that path. I want to live a life that is full and complete, but I'm messing it up. And I need help. And if that's you, then you came to the right place. And I want this to be a vulnerable community where we find the way together, where we can talk about our brokenness without fear of reprisal, And we can help each other journey in the way of life. But here's the way Paul ends. He's answering the question, what is the way out of this darkness? And he answers in verse 24. And it's the answer in what we started with that, you know, we're people living in darkness, but we're made for daylight. And he says, verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And maybe some of you feel like your life is dominated by sin and death. And remember, it's a who, not a what that frees you. It's not a new house. It's not a thing. It's not you figuring it out. It's not you becoming a better person. It's a who. Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You say here's the reality is that we all come into the world looking for someone who's looking for us. And here's the reality, is that Jesus came looking for you. That's the profound truth that is in this story of Bartimaeus. It's why my heart is drawn to it. Because just like Jesus stood on that dusty road and ignored the noise of the crowd and and beckoned the poorest, blindest, weakest person to come and stand with him, he's beckoning you to come too. And this is the gospel, friends. And I want you to just imagine, and maybe you even want to close your eyes and imagine that you're on that dusty road. And, and, and you're the blind beggar because you're living in darkness too, and you don't have life figured out either. And, but in that moment when Jesus passes by, you don't know much, you don't know anything, you don't have all your theology figured out. But in that moment, you're like, that's somebody I need to be drawn to. And so imagine that you're the one that stumbles your way forward and you're standing on that dusty road face to face with the living God and all his truth and all his glory but in that moment you look in his eyes and his eyes are kind but determined and the noise of the crowd fades and it's just you and Jesus and and you feel his very breath on your face as he asks you the question, what do you want me to do for you? you want me to do for you. So here we are back to the place of desire. What is it that you want? What is it you want from the Lord? There might be all kinds of swirling thoughts in your heart and mind right now as you're hearing this. But I want to invite us into an ancient practice. It's a way of responding to Jesus with all our brokenness. And all the mess and all the confusion, how do you talk to God about all that? But you see, sin will always expose us on its own terms. Sin responds to us in shame and fear. But you see, the Lord invites us, Jesus invites us to expose our brokenness freely without fear of reprisal, without the deep lingering belief that not only have I done wrong things, but that I am an unforgivable disaster of a person, unworthy of love, affection, being seen, known, or loved. You see, that's what we believe about ourselves. And that's the work of sin and death and evil that speaks this message that says, you are not worthy. Who are you? to come before a perfect God. Evil tells you that you're not worth knowing or belonging or being safe or cared for. But you see, the Lord Jesus, his face towards you is fiercely kind. You see, there's no secrets that are hidden from him. He already knows everything about your whole life, everything that you've ever done, everything you will do. And to him, all things are known and he can take it. And so what I wanna invite us into is a space as we end this service to practice the ancient way of confession. And I don't know if you've ever done that before, but this might be the most liberating spiritual practice that you can do. You see, what we're gonna do is there's cards in your seats right now, and we're gonna take that card, and I'm gonna give you three minutes, and the band's gonna come up and just play some instrumental music, And we just want to create a holy space for you. And here's what I want you to do is is I want you to write out your confession. And there's maybe two ways that you can do that. One way is that you can confess what you're longing for. And and, and maybe some of what you're longing for are good things, but you're trying to do it and and achieve those things under your own strength. You can just confess that. And by the way, that the Lord can read your bullet point thoughts. On your card, you, you can write a prayer, but you can also just write bullet points. Secondly, you, conf- you can confess your brokenness. And this is the ways in which you have broken God's law. You've lived on your own terms. You've put yourself at the center of the story. You've failed to love God, yourself, or others. We all have a lot of failure in our life. And for some of you in the room this morning, what you're carrying is tremendously heavy. Because there's things that you've done or things that you've left undone that are killing you slowly, and you feel the weight of that as you're listening this morning, and it's weighing you down, and it's causing conflict in your marriage and difficulty in your parenting. It's causing anxiety and fear to be at the center of your experience as a human being right now, and it's not what God has for you, and there's a way out, and the way is Jesus, and the way to move towards Jesus in this moment, is just to confess to him because guess what? He can take it. He can absorb whatever you have for him. So, we're gonna take three minutes, just write on your card and then fold it up and hold on to it. We're gonna do something with it here in a few minutes.